invite you to take your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 115 this morning, Psalm 115. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses of Psalm 115. Just a quick note, um, many of you are friends, uh, or at least know Nancy Myers. Nancy was killed in a car accident uh, suddenly about a, a week ago, and there is a funeral service for her this evening. Um, at another church she was involved in, Pine Grove Baptist Church. It's a church right on Old Marlton Pike in Marlton. Uh, on 6 o'clock tonight, there will be a service for her. Psalm 115, verses 1 through 11, uh, reads this way. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. All you Israelites trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning on a day in a season where um, the topic of protection is very current to us as cities all across America are on heightened awareness uh, due to the potential reprisals of Iran. And Lord, we were reminded of just how vulnerable life is, how much danger there is all around us. And God, I pray this morning as we consider what it means that you are our protector, that you would teach us what that means, what you are promising to us, what you're not promising, that, Lord, we might better know how to do life with you, live with you as our God and as our shield. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We've been looking at the promises of God, and as we've looked at those, I'd like to just review a couple that we've highlighted and then get to the one we're going to be looking at this morning. We looked a few weeks ago at Isaiah 41, which is a promise that is made to people that are afraid and in fear. And there in, in Isaiah 41, Jesus, God says two things. He says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. The word strengthen is the word that refers to inner strengthening, um, uh, renovation of courage from within. But he says, uh, not only will I strengthen you, but I'll do something else. And of course, if, if you are struggling with fear, you know that, yes, you need strengthening from in, but there are some times where you just need somebody fighting for you from without. And that's what the second word means. I will strengthen you, but I will also help you. I will, literally, it was referring to military aid is how the term is typically used. God provides strength. God promises help. 
God promises guidance. We saw this in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He will lead you. Last time we saw his promise of peace in Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You will keep in perfect peace whose minds are stayed on you because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. This morning we come to another passage talking about a promised reality from God, his promise of protection. And in verses 1 through 8, he's been comparing because the people of the lands are looking and they're saying, where's your God? We don't ever see him. Uh, we see our God. Here's this idol to Baal or Chemosh or, or Ashtaroth. And they had, they had wooden gods. They had metal gods. They had uh, stone gods. They said, where's your God? And, and the author of Psalms is arguing, well, our God isn't limited. He's not just made of clay or, or stone or metal or, or wood. He rules and reigns. As a matter of fact, He's one that can be trusted in. And then he tells why in verse 9 and 11. And here's where the promise is. He speaks to the, the people at large of Israel. And he says, all you Israelites trust in the Lord. He's your shield and your, your help and your shield. Then he talks about the spiritual leaders. And he says, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He's their help and shield. Then he talks to everybody at large as individuals. He says to anybody who fears him, trust in the Lord because he will be your help and your shield. The word help here is the exact same word in Isaiah 41 where he has said, I will strengthen and I will help you. I will bring you military aid. I will fight for you. But he says something else here to them. He says, not only will I help you, I will be your Shield. It is that theme that I'd like to focus on this morning and the idea that God is a shield of protection. And the psalmist is encouraging people to trust in him because he is our shield. I'd like to try to raise and answer three questions relating to the theme of God as our shield this morning. The first of those is what does it mean to have God as your shield? And the first thing it means is that it means you are at war. Uh, people didn't have shields in Pete's time. There's no reason for it. You don't expect to see a guy at your gym doing the treadmill with combat boots and a bulletproof vest and night vision binoculars. That's equipment for combat, for the battlefield. A shield was heavy. It was cumbersome. You didn't take it to dinner parties and the spa. You took it to the combat zone. When David and the apostle Paul highlighted the need of a shield in our lives, they're assuming that Jesus' followers are at war, that they are under attack. The question then is, who are we under attack from and where is our war? And I'd suggest there are three things Scripture says that I think are involved with this idea of us needing a shield. The first of those is principalities. We are under attack from principalities. Ephesians 6, which is talking about spiritual warfare and the need of a shield, actually in Ephesians 6, says it this way, our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. I don't know what your view of the devil and 
Satan is, but I'll, I'll tell you mine. Uh, mine is to try to align my thinking of the devil as close as I can to what I understand the Bible to say. And my understanding is, and belief, um, is that the devil is real. That Satan is the, just what the Bible says. That he is the most powerful angel that God ever created. Therefore, he is the, the second most powerful creature, individual in the cosmos, under only God, and that he is a fallen angel, he is in rebellion against God, and that he has gotten other angels in the past that followed him, and Satan and demonic forces are now then real antagonists for people. They delight in evil and causing pain and, and causing people to suffer. But their ultimate malice and vindictiveness is against anyone who seeks to love and enjoy God. They hate them in particular because they hate their God. They hate their Father. They hate their Lord. Now, that does not mean if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have um, made God by his grace your Father, that in the warfare going on that you're just collateral damage, that you're just, you know, sort of a, an innocent bystander, a civilian, if you will, because when you embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior, you enlisted. You actually are a part of the invading army working to establish Jesus' kingdom in enemy-occupied ground. You are the ground forces. And so this war is real. Secondly, not only are we engaged in conflict and need protection from principalities and powers, we also need protection from passions. First Peter says it this way in chapter 2, verse 11. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Romans 7, Paul says it this way. He, says, he uses the same kind of, 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 of verbiage there where he says, look, I, I have this, this warfare going on. He said, on the one hand, I want to follow Christ who I made him my Savior. On the other hand, I have these desires of what he calls my flesh or sinful nature, my sinful disposition, and, and it's a conflict. It's, it's adversarial, and my passions are, are, are fighting against me. Years ago, I read an article in Leadership Magazine. Leadership Magazine is probably the most well-known Christian periodical for, for spiritual Christian leaders. Uh, it's still out there. It's been there for many years. It's a very, very good uh, magazine. But I read an article which in, in years to come has been identified as probably the most, well, most widely read and most um, commented on article that they ever produced at least up until a handful of years ago. And the article was a very somber article. It was an article that was written about a pastor. It was anonymous, but he was telling his story in his battle against pornography. And in the battle, he was, in the article, he's very, very frank, very transparent about how he got drawn in, what he was involved with, how it had impacted his life and every part of his life. And it was a very sobering, sad, unsettling article 
Interestingly, as he talked about this secret bondage to, to, to sexual passions, the article was entitled, The War Within. You are at war with lust. You are at war with worry. You are at war with anger, war with greed. You are at war with fear. If you are a follower of Christ, there is warfare going on. And we are at war with the passions of the flesh. And it is a real conflict. There is a third arena in which we find ourselves often at war. And often under attack. People. They're my third P. Psalms talks about this constantly. The psalmist says in Psalm chapter 7... Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. David wrote uh, most of the Psalms, but not all of them. And of the ones that he wrote, over half of his individual Psalms talk about his sense of an enemy or enemies that are trying to take him down. It's amazing when you, when you really analyze the visual of a lion is continually used of these people who are dangerous, who are seeking to cause pain and suffering to David. It is a picture of what we know to be true, that Satan's primary tool to cause harm and pain to God's children are people. Tragically, Many times, Satan uses God's children to bring about pain in the lives of others of God's children. It's just typical of the devil to do that. But people can be a source of conflict in our lives, one of the preeminent sources of conflict and pain in our lives. So if we're going to be shielded... We are going to need to be shielded from principalities. We're going to need some shielding from our passions. We're going to need some shielding from people and the danger that they can bring. And that is exactly what God is talking about when he talks about the fact that he is willing to be our shield. The fact that God regularly reveals himself as our shield means, first of all, that you are at war. It second of all means... You have protection from your enemies. In the ancient Near East, they had two types of shields. And these two types of shields were, uh, one was a smaller one and looks sort of like that. And I, by the way, I, I was interested in this, so I looked into this in preparation for this message and found that this is basically true of all ancient Near Eastern cultures, whether it's Assyrian or, or um, Babylonian or Persian or Egyptian or Greek or Roman or Israelite. They all had two types of shields. One was the little guy that was made for hand-to-hand -hand combat. The other was the larger shield. And this larger shield was actually often you had a shield bearer uh, that would carry it, and then you actually worked as a tandem that, that, that they would put that down to protect while you, if you were an archer, would shoot. In some cases, if you had javelins, or spears, and you'd throw multiple of them, uh, you would stand. But usually it was a bow and arrow. 
and that he would hold this in place and protecting you both while you fired your shots from a distance. It also was a means of protecting you when a, when a bevy of arrows cascaded, came at you and you could just see a swarm of arrows coming. They would all crouch down um, below the, the shield, hunker down, until they could then fire back. So you have both these types of shields, different types of battling, right? Here's the interesting thing. In the book of Psalms, they're both mentioned. Both are used. When the psalmist talks about God being a shield, he uses both. I think what God is trying to do through, through the statements of the psalmist is say this. He is a shield to every kind of attack. He is a shield to every source of danger. Every kind of conflict, God is your shield. The psalmist said it this way in chapter 3. He said in verse 3 through 6 in Psalm. <laughs> Do I not have that? There we are. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. You're a shield around me, literally. And you're, you're protecting me from, from armies that are surrounding me. The picture that he presents by this shield is that nothing gets to you but comes through God's shield. He is a shield around you. Now, there are four principal metaphors in the scripture that highlight God as our protector. The first one is the one we're talking about today. It is God's shield. I just want to mention these four because it's an interesting principles related to them together. The first he sees a shield. He's a shield around us. Nothing gets in but comes through, um, that is allowed through the shield. Secondly, there's one from the Psalms, Psalm 125, verse 1 and 2. A pilgrimage psalm where the people of Israel were walking to Israel once a year, to Jerusalem once a year, actually three times a year. And as they would come, they'd be proclaiming these. And one of the psalms they would proclaim as they came to Jerusalem was this. And Psalm 125, verse 1 and 2. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. The third visual or metaphor for God's protection was taken by Jesus and presented by Jesus. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I'm, I'm the good shepherd. And I, I, I protect the sheep. I give my life for the sheep. But he also says this, I'm the gate of the sheep. And what he was referring to was the fact that out in the fields throughout the ancient Near East, they took boulders. If you picture like building a snow fort, you know, you roll them up and you get a ball and then you get another one, you put it. Well, that's what they did with boulders. They made this enclave uh, that, that surrounded a structure and had a narrow opening, and it was so at night when you brought, your, you wanted to put your sheep somewhere because there were predators, lions, actually mountain lions, there were coyotes, there were wolves, that they would bring them into this enclosure, and it never had a door because the shepherd would sit in the door. He would be the door. And Jesus said this in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. A few verses later, he says this, I am the gate of the sheep. He's saying, I sit there. I'm the one that determines what gets in to my sheep. Nothing can get through the boulders, and nothing can come through the entree because the entree is me. The fourth picture, a metaphor of God being our protector is in the book of Job, in Job chapter 1. 
Remember the scene where uh, God, uh, Satan appears before God. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth. He's a righteous man. And Satan, if you remember, this is what Satan says. Of course he is. It's because you built a hedge around him. And nothing ever bad. Everything's perfect. Everything in his life is, is, is gold. Let me have him. And the Lord says, basically, all right. You can affect him here and here and here. But you can't do this. And he gave other requirements. But basically what he did, he opened the hedge. He allowed him to come in. Now, here's the reality that is true of all four of those things. All four of them are, 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 are similar in two ways. One, they all picture protection that surrounds you. Whether it is the hills surrounding Jerusalem, it is the shield surrounding the warrior, whether it is the, the enclave, uh, I can't think of the word, the structure where Jesus is the gate, or it is God's hedge. All picture surrounding protection. And secondly... They all are meant to visualize that nothing gets to you but comes through that protection. It's striking in the book of Job. It's a sobering picture, but it's an extremely instructive picture. You have the story of God's hedge around Job and picturing this surrounding protection. And God cracks the hedge. And allows things in, not everything Satan wanted, but some things that he didn't normally allow to attack Job. Prior to that time, Job had walked with God, certainly had had hard things in his life, but he was a godly man, a prosperous man. His fields had prospered, he was wealthy, he was known as a generous man, all that's in the book. And yet... In the, and, and that had been true. And then later in the book, at the end of the book, you see the remainder of his life. He lived a long time after the book of Job. It says that everything was restored to him in, in, in double. Everything. He prospered all the things that he had. And he continued to be a generous, godly man. But in this narrow window, something changed. The only thing that changed was the hedge was cracked open a little more and things came into his life. And it's striking the difference in Job's life. In his life here, in his life here, he's a man that is actively serving, giving, looking out for the energy. In this part of his life, the guy is just holding on with every part of his being. He's not a prosperous man. As a matter of fact, his friends are coming, and, and, and everybody's talking about him. All this is in the book of Job. Everybody are thinking, oh, what a calamitous. It must be his problem. Uh, their view of Job. I mean, it was a bad time in his life, a hard time. But it was a time that resulted from things that were allowed in that had not been allowed in before. The beautiful thing about Job was even though he, in that time of his life, was now in the shadows, and he was in the shadows, he said, though he slays me, I'll trust him. I, I'm, I'm going to hold on. Some of you are in the shadows. Some of you are in a season of life where the hedge or the hills or the gate or, or uh, whatever the other visual is that I can't remember, the hedge, it, it, the shield is, is cracked a little bit, and you've, had, uh, you've, you've experienced the fury of attack in a way you have not before. Sometimes when you're in the shadows, the greatest expression of the most important faith of your life is just holding on. And it's not being 
And you may long, I want to get back to where I was making a difference. I want to get back. Your greatest faith may be shown in just saying, I'm going to hope in God. I'm going to trust in God. The greatest expression of Job's faith his entire life was when he said, though he slays me, I'll trust him. Everything seems to be gone, but I want God. I say all that to say this. The reality is that God is surrounding us and protecting us, but it leads us to the very practical question, and if you're beginning to panic, if you're looking at your ally, I'm going to move faster here. What are we protected from with God as our shield? First of all, what you are not protected from, you're not always protected from pain and suffering. Job wasn't. Jesus wasn't in the garden. The book of Job does not tell us that God will cause us to avoid all suffering and hardship. The book of Job tells us that God is sovereign over that suffering, and he only allows in what he determines he will give the grace to endure. So what are we protected from? We are protected from whatever God determines would harm your soul. There are three clear things of Scripture, and then I'm going to try to put some shoes to all this. There are three clear things from Scripture that God says he protects us from as a shield. Number one, he protects us from temptation that is too much to fight off without yielding. He says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has taken you except what's common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he'll provide a way to escape that you may be able to endure it. He said, I will not allow temptation into your life that is going to eat you alive. You may say, well, that's not how lust feels to me. I feel it's impossible to fight. It's impossible for me to overcome my anger. What Jesus is saying is that I will not allow temptation in beyond the grace that I give to overcome it. That is a promise. He said, I am a shield, and there's plenty of temptations that that could be thrown your way that you never experienced because I've shielded them out. The second promise of him being the shield is this. He is shielding you from accusation that is too much to fight off without self-hatred. This is a really important one. Paul alludes to this specifically in 2 Corinthians 2. This is a church they had written in 1 Corinthians that, that are really screwed up spiritually. I mean, they were, they were overlooking really horrific, notorious sin in the church that were even uh, an embarrassment to the, the, the godless people of the town. And so Paul laid into them, and, and they repented, some of them, and responded. But now they were in danger of swinging too hard and going overboard on one of, the, one of the guys that had repented and was trying to change. And so Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 5 and following. He said, basically, he says, don't go overboard, and here's why. He says, so that he will not be overwhelmed by too much sorrow. Rather, reaffirm your, your love to him. And here's what he said. Satan is trying to outwit us. We are not unaware of his schemes. Here's what Paul is saying. He says, I know how you get attacked, and I know what the devil does. Here's what he does. First, he comes as a tempter, and he makes too little of sin. He says, everybody does it. Nobody will know. You deserve a break today. Come on. It's not a big deal. 
And then you give in to temptation, and he jumps over here to the second role as the accuser. And now he makes too much of your sin. She says, you're unworthy, you're trash, anybody that could do this. And Paul says, be careful. You've now got this guy to repent, and he's, and, he, and he's recognizing his sin. Work with him, love him, help him. Yeah, he's going to keep stumbling along, but grace him. Otherwise, you are going to overwhelm him with sorrow and, and despair by what will come across as your condemning accusations. That is exactly what the devil does. Let me say why this, is, why this matters. God is working to work with the voices that you are listening to in your life. When you repent of sin, when you are confronted with your sins, and you see your own selfishness and your own self-absorption and your own misses and your own failures, it is easy to move from confession and sorrow to despair. Here's what will move you to despair. If you hear in the accusation that the accusation is about what you are and not what you have done, this is really important. Because the, the voices that will come, the attacks that will come, point out real things. And there are real holes, and there are real failures, and there are real sins, and there are real blemishes. But what the, what the enemy will do, and the enemy can use others. The enemy can, it can be his own voice. It can be your head, the voice in your head. It can be the voice of others. The enemy will then give conclusions to you that are not God's conclusions. It's like the father, uh, the husband who is constantly browbeating his wife, saying to her, you're trash, you're trash. And she finally, with God, and I've said this story before, but said to God, as an outgrowth of her walk with God, she turned to her husband and she said, God made me and he don't make no junk. When you feel like junk, that is not God. When you feel you sinned, when you see there are things that need to be confessed humbly, brokenly, heart-oriented, with sorrow, that may be God. But when you are coming, and here's what I think Jesus would say. Say, look, yeah, I'm, I want you to take responsibility for sin and your failures and your selfishness and the things you've done, but don't apologize for what I have called beautiful, don't apologize for saying, well, I am such, I made you. I made you with your wiring and your personality. I made you with your temperament. I made you a non-nurturing person or, or I made you a, 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 a totally people-oriented person and you're, so you're totally with lack of discipline. And I, I made you the way you are. Don't you call junk what I call beauty. And what the Lord is saying here through Paul is be careful that you don't allow in or you, or you don't perpetuate to your brother a message that is not going to help him in his repentance and his change, but is going to cripple him. What God is saying when he says he's our shield 
is one of the things he will shield is the voices coming into your life. And you may say, well, I don't feel he's helping me, Mark, because all I hear is I'm trash, I'm trash. I'm trash. Then this is what I would say to you. Then you are not allowing the Lord to have enough voice in because he does not give through the shield that message alone. He will bring in truth. You need to hear his voice. You need to hear his message. It is not God that has allowed that voice in alone. It is always coupled with a message and a voice of grace if you listen. The third thing that he shields us from is despair that comes when you feel accused for, excuse me, I misread it, is pain and suffering. Pain and suffering that is too much to fight off without despair. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He said, you may have heard, we are afflicted on every side, but we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. You may have heard we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. That we've been persecuted, but we're not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. He said, you hear all these things, and you may think the man must be totally destroyed and broken. He says, no, because God has only allowed in what he has given the grace to endure. He is my shield, Paul is saying. And it's so easy for us to look at other Christians who are people that are deeply walking with God but are in tremendous hardship to read a book like the book of Job, which I know many of us try not to read, um, and say, I could never, I could never do that. Well, there's a very simple answer to that. Then God won't let you. If you can't, you won't. That's what it means he's a shield. He will give the grace to endure what he allows to come in. This is the beauty of God's protection. Okay, so how do you employ God as your shield? Some quick principles um, regarding that. Number one, um, we choose to trust. Psalm 115 is saying, trust in the Lord. Israelites, trust in the Lord, Israelite leaders, house of Aaron. Trust in the Lord, you who fear him. Why? Because he's your shield. Because he's your shield, you can trust him. Look to him to be your shield. Believe in him. Lean into this reality. Don't just say, oh, good, he's my shield, and, and now I'll go on and be terrorized every, every moment of every day. No, lean into the reality of that. Reflect on what that means. Talk to God about it. Say, God, I'm claiming that. This is a living reality that you're not allowing things in beyond what you're gracing me to endure. Secondly, choose to praise God for his protection especially if you're looking ahead right now and you're saying, this looks grim. I just, I don't know if I can live through what's coming. There's an old song. It's called Count Your Blessings. Count Your Blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. I think that's what happened with Job. I really believe what one of the changes that took place in Job's life was this. Job had come through this season in his life of astonishing pain. He argued with God, why do you allow that? What was all this about? But in Job's reality, as he then, it says, after the Lord just reveals himself to Job in the last couple of chapters, Job just said, I, I was blind. 
I just didn't see your bigness. I didn't see the beauty of this. One of the things I believe Job learned was this. Lord, I didn't know how much you protected me every moment of every day. I didn't know. I didn't realize until I experienced what could happen if you aren't protecting in the fullness in the way you typically do. Because here's the reality with Job. You know, Satan didn't stop hating Job at the end of the book of Job. He didn't say, well, that didn't, that didn't work. Let's move on to somebody else. You know, he, I didn't really care about him anyway. He hated him just as much later, but Job didn't deal with the boils, and he didn't deal with the loss of crops, and he didn't deal with all the tragedies in his life to the same degree. Why? Does that mean because the devil sort of developed a compassionate heart to Job? Hardly. What it means is the hedge was restored. And I think for Job, I can't imagine that every day Job didn't wake up and say, God, thanks for protection. Thanks for the hedge. It enabled him to grow in his reality. God has protected you. God has worked in your life. There's so much more that could be going on in your life right now that God is preserving you from. There's so many things. And you're imagining, well, boy, this could happen, and I don't know if I can fit. Well, focus on what he's done. Focus on what he's doing right now. And the more you focus on what God is doing and has done, the freer you're going to be to trust him with your future. Count your blessings. Choose to praise God for your protection. Listen to God's word above all other voices. Um, it's got to be. We've got to be hearing God's voice. We've got to hear what's true. Otherwise, we'll hear the accuser. We've got to hear what God says about holiness and how he will lead us to holiness. Or we're gonna, our temptation's going to look different than it needs to. The fourth thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump through this, is march with other soldiers. Um, the Christian life is not a solo journey, and all I was going to say here is just that the Roman soldier, which is the, the shield that he talks about in Romans chapter six, Ephesians chapter 6 of the Roman soldier was the large one, and they actually would join together and protect each other. And if we can go to the second visual, that actually is a thing called a tortoise. That's actually what they did on the battlefield. They would, can you imagine trying to hit one of these guys with an arrow? I mean, what a frustrating experience. You might be able to get a foot here or there, but they depended on each other. I think there is some of that that is involved. We're, we're not to do this alone. Now, nobody wants a pastor to be the guy and say to people, you need to go to church. You need to go to church. You need to be in fellowship. You need to be with Christian community. You need to be with people that are speaking truth and, 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 that, and that are helping you be that shield for you. It's part of how God protects us and helps us grow. So what does all this mean? Well, to me, there's incredible hope that God is our shield, and I want to summarize it this way. There's incredible hope for the child of God and God being our shield, first of all, in the present Whatever's going on in your life right now, God let it in. He could have kept it out, but he didn't. If he did let it in, he is offering the grace for you to endure with joy. There is no temptation that is too much to fight off without yielding surrender that he has let in. 
There is no accusation that is too much to fight off without self-hatred that he has let in. There is no pain or suffering that is too much to fight off without despair that he has let in. You can find joy there. You can find hope there. You can find God there. Because you can realize I'm not just a hopeless victim of, an, of, an, of a chaotic, out-of-control world. I'm in, a, I'm in a hard spot. I'm in a what a Job's feel-like spot. Where God has let things in. But I'm not alone. And I'm not abandoned. And it didn't just randomly happen. God let it in because he's intending to grace me to endure it. Secondly, there's hope for the future. If, if he is your shield... He knows you. His goal is to love you, to care for you, to have you depend on him and to lean on him. And there will be times when he allows stuff in that feels scary. But he lets it in out of love. And that we're just going to have to take by faith. Either he is who he says he is, or we might as well bag this whole thing. He is for us. He is too wise to make a mistake. He is too good to be unkind. He really is. And he is shielding us from so much every moment. If he's allowed in things that seem somewhat extreme, then I would say look at it like Job. This wasn't Job's whole life. It was a very, it's a snapshot of his life. In, in the big video of his whole life journey, it's just a, a couple of frames. Sure, it didn't feel that way to Job at the time, but it is. Embrace God in the moment and trust him for the future. Let's pray together. God, we come to you as our shield. A shield all around us. Lord, there are people here that feel fear about tomorrow. There are others that are exhausted from today. God, help us to embrace the reality of this shield to be our hope. And Lord, I also ask that when we are in seasons where the opposition and enemy's fury does not seem overwhelming, let us see that it is because you are protecting us, that you are always being our shield. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to, we're going to close our service in a fairly brief celebration of the Lord's Supper this morning, but I'm going to ask the men to come. We can, we can have God as our shield because of what this table is reminding us of, that Jesus Christ came. He came among us. He became one of us. He came to rescue us, to forgive us. He came to offer us a relationship with him where God is our shield and we can trust ourselves in him.